Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. All right, all right. Welcome back. This is the Turned On Podcast, and our goal here is to bring light, light, life-giving light into the world, and we do that in the four hallways of life. We do that in your family, what we call the home team. We do that in your business. We do that with your body and your health and, and your faith. And so Angelique and I always look for people who embody these things, and have I got a treat for you today because I've been following this gentleman for a while now, and he embodies all four of those things to a very, very high degree. He has been on ESPN. He's been in Men's Health Magazine. He's been in Entrepreneur Magazine, Millionaire Mentor. His job is to help people scale their business in order to match their influence. And, and in other words, he has timeless and effective strategies to help scale your online business. But much more than that, as I bring this guy on, I want to tell you, I watch him with his family. I watch him going all around the world, and I just think it's beautiful, and that's why I connected with him, because he's a family man. He's a man of faith. He has an awesome seven-figure business, and he's here to talk to us today. My friends, please welcome Vince Del Monte to the Turned On Podcast. Vince, how are you? Hey, Dave. Thanks. I'm doing great, Dave. So you're, you're in Toronto right now. But I've watched you and your wife and your children. Tell us a little bit about uh, your family life first. You have how many how many children do you have? Yeah, so I've got. Uh, well, my wife would say she's got four children. I'm one of them. <laughs> Mine too. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you ask her, she's there. I got four kids. Um, so um, aside from me, uh, we share three kids together: uh, Brianna who's two, John Luca, who's five, and Melia, who's seven. And they all have birthdays within two weeks. So we're getting ready to celebrate uh, uh, three birthdays uh, in the coming weeks here in August. Interesting. Yeah, so our, our two are, um, they're six years apart, but their birthdays are 10 days apart. So very similar. Um, what we love That's to do it. at the beginning of our podcast is we like to talk about that turned on moment. So your resume is so impressive. We're going to get into that. So just tell us very briefly, what was your moment when something clicked? Some, the lights went on inside your head and said, ah, I got, either got an idea or, or this is something that I'm passionate about, and everything changed. What was that moment for you, Vince? Well, I think there was a couple, you know, try to pinpoint it to a day, but it was more of a you know, time in my life. I knew back in a university when I was a cross-country runner, that I didn't want to be a cross country runner or an, or an endurance athlete the rest of my life. I was living with a whole ton of um, bus dudes 
they were my roommates. And I always um, had this fascination with building muscle. And I didn't know exactly, you know, what I was going to do or how I was going to do it. But I knew that when my running days were over and when my eligibility finished up after my fourth year of university, I wanted to transfer all this time and energy I put into running into the gym and seeing if it was possible for me to change my body and get more muscular and look like them. So that would have been one of like the first early, I think, defining moments because I went off a trajectory that I think was paved for me. You know, my father was an endurance athlete. He went on full scholarship to the States. All my brothers and I, we all followed in his footsteps. So there was something like pure and holy about running. And he never understood this world of bodybuilding, especially when I started lifting weights and he caught me looking at myself in the mirror. <laughs> and he said, uh, are, you, are you in love with yourself? <laughs> and he just didn't understand it. And I don't think I understood it either. <laughs> Because I was like, what am I doing looking at myself in the mirror taking pictures? Like, I've never done this. I'm a grown man taking photos of myself. (laughs) What am I doing? So it was a weird world to be uh, lifting weights, building muscles, and looking at yourself in the mirror. It was a very different world. But but, uh, despite, you know, that kind of precaution or kind of like question mark, what are you doing, son? There was something that I felt I was being called to do, and I didn't fully know what it was, but I pursued a career as a personal trainer after a $50,000 university degree and um, started working for a whopping $10 per hour. And I think that moment, you know, when I started off on a path that no one in my family had ever gone down, there was something that I just felt in my gut was like, you're in the right zone. You know, I didn't know exactly what hat I was supposed to wear in the fitness industry. I was a personal trainer. I sold gym memberships. I eventually sold personal training packages. I wore a lot of different hats, Mm. but I knew that the fitness industry was where I was supposed to be. I think that was a real defining moment for me because, you know, I went down a path that no one in my family had ever gone down or even knew anything about, and it wasn't safe in terms of, you know, there's no there's no compensation packages for personal trainers. There's no, you know, you're not getting any benefits or anything like that. You don't get your summers off. You're, you're working for gym owners who are, you know, they're coming and going. So it, it was a very unstable path in my, in the eyes of my parents who, who sought stability and they wanted me to be a gym teacher. They thought, Oh my goodness, what a, what a life you could get your summers off. You could influence young kids. And that's actually the path that was going down. So I think me going in a direction that was counterintuitive to everything my parents knew and that I never had a, I didn't, there was no models for me. I wasn't like following somebody else's yeah. footsteps. It was just a path that I wanted to venture into. I think that was a very real and defining turn on moment for me because it led on to a, I won't get into all these other stories, but it led to a whole ton of other events in my life um, so that was at the age of 22. When I turned 30, I got married and my brother said something really interesting to our 400 guests at my Italian wedding <laughs> and said, said something to the effect of, um, you know, one thing that's unique about my brother is he makes believers of all of us. Well, that's good. And I, and I think early on in my career, I, I learned that, you know, my dad had a lot of doubt and I realized that he was actually in the right to be skeptical 
sure. and to ask questions and that I shouldn't be getting defensive, but I should see that as an opportunity. And I realized I have to make him believe that this entrepreneurial path is one that can be sustainable. And I think when I finally figured out that it was my job to make people believe in what I was going to do, that was like, okay, that's it. I need to prove people. I have to back up my decisions with actions to make people believe. And the more people I made believe, the more things got better for me. Oh, well, you know, so fantastic introduction to this conversation we're about to have because there's so many things that I think our audience will relate to. First of all, we live in a world that is constantly pivoting now. We live in a business culture where people will need to reinvent themselves, whether it just be out of college or, you know, in their 40s or 50s. We're constantly needing to reinvent and prove ourselves. The second thing is sometimes we have to go down the road least traveled. Sometimes that's where our, you said it was a calling. You said, it, I just felt this. And, and, and to throw another cliche into it, it's you don't have to see the whole staircase. You take the first step. We've all heard that. So relating to it, I remember my father the same way. You know, he wanted me to follow in his footsteps. There was a family business. He said, you know, move here, take it over, and it's yours. And I remember when Angelique and I first got together, I, I was struggling. I was a personal trainer at the time as well. And I was kind of struggling. And she's like, well, why aren't you going to business with your dad? He said it could be yours. And at the time, I was like, babe, do you want a happy husband? Or or do you want, you know, do you want financial security? Now, we had no no way of knowing where we'd be someday, Vince, but I believe that's a great start for this conversation for you to tell people, look, put a little bit of pressure on yourself, take that road, and then you have to live up to it. You know, if you're going to make those decisions to either – in a loving way, right? Your dad loves you, so he wants to see you do good. And sometimes think about it now as a father, right? Now you're the father. And you would want to see your son have something secure with summers off that you know. And if your son or daughter takes another path, your fatherly instinct's going to be, geez, I hope they do good. But now you have a totally different perspective. So you've taken this yeah, ability. It'll be, it'll be, Go ahead. It'll be the opposite. It'll be more risky if they want to get a job. <laughs> the, oh, exactly. The tables have turned. I'm like, are you sure you want to get a job? You sure that you, are you crazy? Like a job? Are you? You know what that stands for? <laughs> so, I, I hope that my influence is strong enough for the the rest of the people coming up in my family to see, you know, what was once seen as you know entrepreneurship was seen as a risky thing. Yeah. I, you know, I hope I've turned the table so that the next generation sees getting a job as a risky and crazy path. Why in the world would you do that? as opposed to entrepreneurship. You want to be your own boss. That's scary. That's lonely. That's risky. I want the narrative to change so that my kids say getting a job is scary. It's lonely. It's risky. It is. Yeah. I mean, I remember when we left our jobs in corporate America, um, six months later, we landed on a plane and one of my counterparts called me and said they just laid off 85% of the people in the company. And then a year later, Angelique, no, not even a year. I think it was a couple months later, Angelique, who was in a management position, the same thing. We landed from on a plane somewhere on our entrepreneurial journey, and she got a message saying that they had laid off even the management position. So the, the thought of a kind of a cradle-to-grave career is, is an antiquated thought of what our parents had. And in other words, you work 40 or 50 years for a company, you get a pension, and you retire. It's just not the way anymore. So let's get into what it means to be an entrepreneur, what was the first step when you said, hey, okay, I'm making $10 an hour here, but 
there's more. Because I in, in the Turned On book, we always say you have to look through the windshield and not the rearview mirror. In this day and age, you have to be aware of how quickly things are changing, be it via technology or just via the trends. And the people who are most aware and what we call turned on mentally are going to recognize those trends. So, Vince, what trend did you start to recognize where you saw an opportunity in the fitness field to say, I can do something else besides train? Well, it was 2005 and my boss bought, brought me these, um, you know, CDs. You remember those things, CDs? Oh, yeah. Right before <laughs> cassettes DVDs. or after cassettes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I was just seeing a lot of cassettes then too, but he brought me these two CDs with Ryan Lee. And uh, it's actually funny because I'm cleaning out my basement right now and with uh, the process of our, our move, and I just had them sitting out here. Oh, my goodness, here they are right here. Um, uh, Ryan Lee six figure trainer CD of the month. And, um, you know, he was talking about these concepts of, uh, um, man, words that I'd never heard before words that I, I didn't hear growing up. Um, I got them all right here. It'd be funny if I could quote them off. Um, so the, um, this is probably they, about the time, you know, our paths did cross. Ironically, we were both at powerhouse gym in oh, Tampa. You remember, you remember that Vince? Okay. We were I probably do. We um, were both at Powerhouse Gym in Tampa. I was one of the first trainers to train there. I remember before they even opened their doors, um, I had walked in and they still had like you know stuff up that they were painting and stuff. And I said, "Are you guys hiring trainers?" And they, you know, they said, "Well, it's a it's a kind of a booth rental here. Whatever you do, you know, you you pay your 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 monthly gotcha, thing." Yeah. But I remember that gym and it was a it was a mecca. And there's a lot of people I think that you're still involved with um, or that you train that have gone on with your training program. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, so well, that was, I think, more like 2011 when I was, I was already, you know, by then my business was already, you know, cranking and I'd been in the game for over four or five years. Oh, yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, go, to go back to 2005, I just found them. They're stacked amongst loads of CDs here. Fitness prosperity, instant audios for fitness professionals. Your wealth is important too. So, <laughs> I got submersed in this world in 2005 and I started seeing all these guys making money online with eBooks. I didn't know what the eBook was. I noticed they were being marketed with these long form infomercial sales pages that I didn't think anyone even read. And I didn't even think how could someone possibly buy off these websites? You know, long story short, um, one of my gifts is, you know, being open-minded. Maybe, maybe you can look at it another way. I'm a little naive. I don't know. That's what a few family members have said, Vince. You're already <laughs> you're you're a little gullible, Vince, and I think maybe that's turned into an advantage of mine. There's a fine line, right? A fine line between being yeah. open minded and being gullible, yeah. Everything I've ever been criticized of has been a trait that's ended up serving me in a certain type of way. Now obviously every trait has a pr- a good side and a bad side to it, but being a little naive and gullible uh, led me to exploring this world of internet marketing. And uh you know, I hired a business coach on two credit cards when I was broke, uh, making $48,000 a year. And uh, before you know it, I have a website up. I've got an ebook done, and I'm learning how to get traffic with article marketing, writing for sites like Ironman Magazine and Bodybuilding.com and eZine articles. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm making, you know, two sales a week, which is a whopping extra $100. But I back then was, wow. 
wow, like what if I could scale this to an extra three to $4,000 a month and just pay my bills? Like how amazing would that be? And those were my grand ambitions back then. So, you know, I think what I, you know, what I did was I just recognized an opportunity and I gave myself an opportunity, which I don't think a lot of people do anymore. People want success, but they don't even position themselves for success. And the way I did it was I invested into a mentor on two credit cards and I trusted in a process and I took massive action. And I, and I was coached in a really neat way where he gave me one step every month, which is how I coach people to this day. You know, now 15 plus years later, I've um, over the last three years coached over a thousand fitness coaches who are growing their businesses online and we coach in steps and we find like the biggest, uh, the biggest problem people have, you know, you mentioned pivoting. I find, you know, to be kind of devil's advocate here, I find people pivot too much. Okay. People are constantly pivoting and no one sticks with anything for long enough to see it work. I feel like I had an advantage back then because I didn't know what the heck everyone else was doing. You know, today people are talking about how much money they make. You know, back then that was a very personal thing. You didn't know how much anybody made. Now people talk to you about, you know, how much they make. And that's just kind of like a common thing in our space now, uh, whether you like it or not. And I had, I was able to just focus on building something from the ground up and not getting caught up on, what everybody else was doing. And there, there were a lot of options like video marketing, article marketing, uh, you know, AdWords. Sure. But it wasn't like today, you know, where you got, you know, Clubhouse one day, you got Instagram, Facebook, Facebook groups, YouTube. Like it's people are getting, you know, throw magic wands in their face every 10 seconds. So I think that's why you do need to be prepared to pivot. But I think what we teach our students is you need to give these different methods at least one plus year before you come to any solid conclusions of whether they're working or not. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, we talk about fitness, you talk about relationships here. It's the same thing. You can't assess your marriage after one year. Like I'm still working on things 10 years later that I. Amen. <laughs> hey, me too. With 11 year anniversary i'm like man oh man am i making any progress here no wonder <laughs> marriages for life you don't even you know it's not even long enough to exactly. figure out a couple things so you know same thing with your physique you know you got to do a couple shows before you figure out how to manipulate your carbs properly you got to do a couple shows where you mess up your water intake the final few final few days to see what works and what doesn't work and it's i just think people quit so easily And people don't understand, you know, I'll use a business example that marketing is just a fancy nine letter word for text. And I think that in our instant world, everybody wants to be spoon fed the answers. And there's been, you know, the people that aren't on the famous, you know, Insta results track are the ones who become successful because they dig into the process and they recognize, or at least they figure out in time that the process is way painful than they anticipated or anyone prepared them for, but they keep going through the middle and they don't try and bounce to the next new thing. That's a great point. You know, Angelique always points out we live in, uh, we used to live in this microwave society and and now it's, it's even less. We, we talk about the human attention span and, and what technology is really doing to that. It's shortening the attention span. 
when when I talk to people in my class, I'm like, unfortunately, you know, people won't even stick around sometimes for the second minute of your video if they're not really captivated in the first 10 seconds because we're a swipe culture now. Um, and there is, I love what yeah. you said about there is there is profit in, in persistence and, and perseverance. Uh, we just got done doing a an episode that talked about three things that never go out of style was effort, connection, and perseverance. So if we have the effort, right, that's the good old-fashioned elbow grease, the dirt, you know, getting willing to work like you're talking about. The connection is, hey, you know, sometimes you do need to pay a coach. Uh, sometimes you need to ask people who are in the industry, uh, what's going on, where do I go, people who have been there longer than you. And then the the most important part, which I think you just touched on, is the perseverance. And we have to be able to stick something, you know, we the instant gratification is just, it's it's a dead end for most people. And I worry, you know, you have the children, I have the children, and what we have to teach those children in, a, in an era that's difficult is, look, you have to be patient. You know, you have to work something through. Good things come to those who work hard and wait. So talk about that now. In, in your business, give me something uh, specific that you talk to with your clients and that you think is maybe one of the bigger problems that we're seeing today. I, I know we just talked about being impatient as one of them. What's, what's another one that you can give as a little teaser here for what you do? Well, I think people quit too soon. You know, we kind of t- touched on that and, you know, they hit their first roadblock and they give up. It's like you get in your first, you know, fight with uh, your new girlfriend and, oh man, I knew this, I knew this wasn't going to work. Ah, no, it's not finding a new girl. It's you have to get better. Mm-hmm. So we see this over and over and it's all kind of rooted in a lot of similar things. You know, what I got with a stack on of that is people have too big of expectations in the short term yep. and too small of expectations in the long term. Mm. You know, I, I, that's a big one, right? You know, people come into a coaching program and they want to have a six figure business in three months. Yeah. Now my first year online, I made 10 grand after I paid the business coach 7,500 bucks plus some sunk costs. I lost money my first year. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if I was like trying to get rich in the first year, I would have said, I knew this wasn't going to work, but I kept with it and it kept growing from that. So, you know, then on the flip side, people have too small of expectations of what you can do in the course of five years and 10 years. So if people could really manage their expectations, or at least get in an environment yeah. or around a coach that can just kind of give them a better perspective of like, Hey, listen, everything you're doing is the right thing. You right. know what I'm saying? It's like training in the gym. Like you're doing the right exercises. You're putting in the right effort. You're actually not overtraining. You're actually not under training. The, the, the bottom line though, you know, with, unless you're pumping steroids, like you can only manufacture muscle tissue a certain amount per month. Yep. So like, there's no way to explain, accelerate certain processes. I love that. And I think a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, you know, I, I was going to say it, 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 you being a distance runner and then going into bodybuilding, certainly those two things reek of perseverance uh, and of, of being, yeah. It, distance running is a lonely, is a lonely sport. It's not a team sport. So you have a lot of time to think a lot of time to ponder. Uh, the same thing sure. sometimes when you're a gym, sure you have a lifting partner, but again, it's the patience, you know, I remember when I was, I was 14 and kids used to call me ET because I was so skinny and had such a big head and a skinny neck. And I remember getting a little tiny bicep pump and I would go into 
this is, I forget, like, I don't know what the name of the fitness place was, but I would look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, if my arms could only stay this way with that pump. And then eventually they did. And then you always want to grow. I'll grow my arms bigger. And then sometimes you have to look back to see where you've come from. Just like you were saying with your marriage mm-hmm. and, and with your income. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get so used to something and you get so impatient because we lose this ability to see perspective. And sometimes you have to look at an old photo of you and your wife and say, wow, babe, you know, remember how we used to argue about this? Remember how we used to, this used yeah. to be a big deal in our marriage? Think about how we how far we've come from there. And and especially as a father, because Vince, I'm like you, I'm, I'm the I'm the fourth child in this relationship, right? And so I look back at myself and say, I'm never going to lose that kind of childish nature. But certainly, I've come a long way since my first child. And and that's something to be proud of. And I, I honor you for that because, look, in today's day and age, raising three kids, being responsible for a family, and as much as you guys travel and as many things as you do, it's... I, I, it's a three-ring circus most of the time in our house. I don't know if it's it's that way in your yeah, house, yeah. but it might no, a, it might look an, good you, and you sound get an good. Amen from me, yeah, 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 you, you, yeah, absolutely. Amen, amen. Just for those listening, that just means we agree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, I always say that uh, if parenting's easy for you, it means you're doing it wrong. Exactly. <laughs> because, and it's a tough you're job. Not trying to raise your, 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 you're trying to. You've probably delegated your uh, parenting to your to the iPad, and uh, it's tough, man. And I'm, I plan on never writing a parenting book. Just want to put that out there for the record. And tell <laughs> yeah. my kids are grown up in their in their fifties. I might write a parenting book if I'm alive, but uh, you you don't you won't see any parenting books coming from uh, me anytime in the maybe next 30, 40 year future. Well, well, let's pivot a little bit into that because I I it, that is another one of our hallways when we talk about family. And again watching you at you know at airports outside and then you know you're you're at a you're at an event you're hosting an event you're you're launching a new program and things like that um one of the things that's hard for us and I'm sure maybe that you can identify with is we grew up with fathers and mothers who you know we ate breakfast together dad went off to work came home at 5 36 o'clock we ate dinner and then we saw dad a little bit at night and then on the weekends now especially for the entrepreneurial parents, we're with these children almost 24-7. They, they, they see us, and it's hard for them to realize when mom and dad aren't working and when they are. So have you experienced anything mm-hmm. like that? It's funny. No one's ever asked me that before, but, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because I'm in the basement right now. My wife's upstairs, and uh, I got three kids. One of them is with one of my her aunts uh, shopping, but two are upstairs. So my little one, Aubriana, and she doesn't take no for an answer. Yep. She'll come downstairs. If she's coming downstairs to show me something she drew or to tell me something, like she's, she is getting, it's happening. Yeah. There's like, I can't say, Adriana, <laughs> we're not negotiating. That's, <laughs> that's not, that's not happening. Oh, I love so it's it. like, all right, just, all right, Dave, can you just hang on one second? I have to talk to Adriana, you know, make yep. sure she gets daddy's full attention. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of moments where you feel like not a failure, but you definitely feel like am I neglecting my kid? Or is this just their new normal where, yeah, they have to kind of, you know, I didn't see my dad. So when my dad came home, you know, he was attentive because he didn't bring his work home. But my work is in the house. Yes. Um, I think it is unique to each individual. There's definitely been seasons where I've, I've really been a really, really, you know, I've stolen a lot of time and attention from my kids and my wife because I'm upstairs at dinner time and I've got the phone beside me. And 
some days my wife won't say anything because she doesn't want to create an argument. But then some days she just has it and she'll just, you know, she'll call me out and she'll get frustrated and yell. And the next thing you know, I'm in the basement, whatever. But there's, it's, it's a, it's a tool that you have to manage or it'll manage you. And there's a lot of great things about working at home. You know, I don't have a commute, you know, I got a gym right beside my office here and I save a lot of time in that aspect, but you do need to, it is a different world. It absolutely is a different world, but the good news is there's guys like us who can, you know, share solutions. Like one thing a mentor told me is like, do you have a lockbox for your phone if it's that bad? I'm like, a lockbox? He's like, yeah, you could go on Amazon and they have these uh, addiction boxes that are for people who want to get rid of an addiction. They were originally designed for people who want to stop smoking. They need to put your cigarette mm. and you put a timer on it and it doesn't open until the timer goes off. So, you know, I had to actually utilize this for a period of time where I put my phone in there from 4.30 to 7.30. I'd set it for three hours just so that I could be present from 4.30 to 7.30 until the kids go to bed. And, you know, I'd kind of do a sweep through anything that looks uh, mission critical at the end of the day. Yeah. But, yeah, if you don't get a hold of your workspace and your, you know, these tools that we use to grow our business, it's very hard to separate you know, family time and business time as an entrepreneur. And, you know, I'm not looking for sympathy, but it definitely is something you have to get a hold of, or it, you can create some pretty bad habits that can spiral downwards. And, you know, I'm sure every dad, no one would brag about this, but there's been times that, you know, your kids yelling at you, daddy, get off the phone. And you're like, holy crap, did that just happen? I was warned about never letting that happen. And it, you know, because, they don't really care that you work from home. They don't really care don't. that you're an entrepreneur. They don't really care that you're trying to create freedom for the family. They don't really care about any of that. So, no, yeah, yeah these Vince, are real I, struggles. I wrote a book. I'm, I wrote a. That's what the turn on book is is about. It's about this invasion of technology into our homes and into our relationships. And and sometimes I feel guilty. You know, sometimes it's like, David, you, you know, my wife's probably out buying one of those lockboxes right now <laughs> as we speak because if she's going to hear this, because we are torn. There is, um, I, I actually interviewed a, a doctor from Georgetown uh, for my book, and there is this dopamine effect that is, is taking us toward these things. It's when those little bells and whistles goes off, they're designed to get our attraction, the little beeps and the the sights and the sounds and the brightness, those are all designed to keep us addicted to the phone. And you are exactly right. And I want to applaud you because, look, you are saying things that people need to hear. And if they've heard them, I'm glad you just heard it over again. What we're doing is, even though if you're working from home, your children, they don't realize that. And and that's why we always tell other people, parents who are working from home, if they apologize profusely for their kid coming in or something, we say, hey, look, this is the way now. You don't have to apologize for us. Angelique and I are in the same boat. Last night, we had two calls at the same time, and we asked Ella, our our nine-year-old, if she can watch our 10-month-old for, you know, 30 minutes. And she's like, but I thought we were going to do family movie night. And so Uh trying to explain to children that, look, we have to put you know, that iPad or or this family vacation to Disney World, that costs money. And as they get older, uh-huh. they'll realize that. But we are in a situation right now where we have this beautiful gift to be able to spend more time with our children and work from home. But yes, we can abuse that gift if we are not diligent about 
separating ourselves from our work when the time comes. And I love the fact that, because your wife sounds just like Angelique, sometimes I, I look out of the corner of my eye and I know she's dying to say something and I'm, she's just giving me a little bit of grace. And then she'll reach this point where she's like, really? She's like, are you going to put your, you know, your phone down? So we had something called the turned yeah. on table that we did. And the turned on table was just asking families to put all the devices away, turn the TV off and come around the table for a meal because that's where we discovered through studies and science that most children develop their personality they get their confidence and their ability to reason and share ideas at the family dinner table and we're losing that as a culture so what are some of the things that the del monte family does that that you're proud of that you say hey you know what I, I know we're trying to run this seven-figure business, but at the same time, fam- family first. Yeah, well, we have a non-negotiable church is always on Sunday. Amen. You know, when we were traveling to the... Yeah, thank you. I mean, I mean every Sunday uh, when we were traveling the last 12 weeks, when we went to we went to quite a few churches, the Belonging in Nashville. Yeah, um, I've been there. It's a great church. The Center Point, Center Point maybe it's called. A mm-hmm. um, couple yep. weeks we went to... Uh, a great church in Venice. We went to her, what I forget it was called Radiant in okay. Tampa. Oh, yeah, you're in Tampa. You know Radiant? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Radiant. We went with Aaron Burke there. We went there a few weeks. Um, so, you know, it's an ordeal because, you know, every Sunday, a new church, you got to get the kids checked in. There's a long lineup. You got to get the name tags. And my little guy, my, my oldest, just rushes in. She's a socialite, so she's fine. But then my little guy, you know, he, he doesn't want to go, so that takes like half an hour to talk him into going. Or eventually, I just realize I'm wasting my time. He just kind of sits with us. <laughs> so, so like you can come up with a lot of excuses just to say, you know what? Let's just wait till we get back to Toronto. Well, all those churches are closed in Canada, so <laughs> yeah. So we didn't want to do that, but there, it's it's just easy to settle. It's so easy to just kind of do something once. And what's really neat is these things compound. Like the kids now know Sunday morning we're going to be going to church somewhere. It's not, it just gets a little bit, not a lot. It gets a little bit easier every single week to start to see what our family is all about. That's important. Um, Another one for us is no devices on the weekend. Oh, I like that. Right now, my wife's got them on one, no devices for the rest of the summer. But that's because they were on the devices a lot for the last three months while we were traveling and in the car a lot. So, we just there's no devices the rest of the summer, um, iPads specifically. We can do we yeah. do our Friday night movie night, but you know that you know the kids are kicking and screaming. It's so much easier just to say, okay, just just put the stupid show on. You know I can't take this anymore. But sure. you know you you really do you, you really do need to you need to be firm, but you also have to be fair, and you have to show up constantly. And and you know these kids need to be. Uh, they need these disciplines. Like kids, sure. you don't want to break their will, but you have to bend their will to what's best for them because they don't know what's best for them. My kids would sit in front of their iPads for eight hours a day eating goldfish if we let them. Yeah, that's true. You know, it, it's it's interesting because we talk a lot about this. It's it's hard to it's hard to tell kids that they're missing out on something if they've never known it. So these kids that are growing up in this iPhone generation, they're not going to know what outdoors the the missing of that part is just like if, if you said hey david you got to come to toronto you're going to love it here well if i've never been there i'm like yeah you know i'll try it but 
I've never been there, so I have nothing to compare it with. We have to get these children back to putting these phones down because my thing is at the end of their lives or our lives, we're going to look back and say, wow, we wasted a lot of time. But if they're growing up with these right. devices, it's scary. And I love that you said it about church because our little one, Phoenix, she's going to be six actually this week. And the thing about that is she loved going to church. We would drop her off with the kids in the in the room, and they would do this whole Bible study, and they would draw. And then when COVID hit and the churches weren't open, you know, that was a big blow to families. And it was it was a big blow to the body of Christ and 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 God. And we got to be careful because that's such an important part of what this next generation needs. The, the faith component that is going to be at stake. And if we look back at what it means for communion, when I look at communion and I mean to be around people, to be in, in proximity of other people, and what it does to the human spirit to be isolated. You know, it's funny that you mentioned this because uh, I did some research on distance runners and I did some research on boxers for my book. And, you know, both two of the loneliest type of sports, and typically people that gravitated to those professions, I mean to those those sports, they enjoyed the alone time. But I remember listening to this one runner, and he said, I really like training with other runners. Like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very lonely sport, and I love it. But I really like those days when we trained as a group, if not for anything else, just to be in the proximity of people. And so what we're seeing, Vince, is our children's future right now, and I know you're a big believer in, in this, is let's let them live. Let's give them the opportunities that we had. And that means privacy, and that means being able to gather. Like, I just want to see my kids mm-hmm. be able to go to concerts. I want to, you know, go to school dances. Mm-hmm. I want to see them be able to have private conversations and not— somebody not know exactly what they're buying or where they're going or who they're talking to. That means a lot to me. And so as a father, what do you think Uh about that? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just think about the the key things that I had when I was growing up. Uh, One of them was like a strong sense of family. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents have been married 43 years. My wife's parents have been married 50 plus years. My wife's one of 17 children. Whoa. Wow. All the same parents. That's amazing. Natural birth. Yeah. Ooh. So that's gotta be some kind of a know, record. Come from Italian. It, yeah. They're one short of a TV show. <laughs> that's amazing. So yeah. Italian, your wife's yeah, Italian yeah. as well. Yeah. She, she's Romanian. Oh, she's a Romanian. Okay, cool. Yeah, her, her better half's Italian. Yeah. yeah. Amen. <laughs> I, I, when Angelique and I went to Italy, I'm like, you could just send the kids over. Like I'm, I'm ready to move here. I, I absolutely loved Italy. Yeah. So, yeah, Italy's incredible, yeah. So family means a um, lot to you. So what what are you most concerned about for the future generation here? Oh, man. I mean, I think kids that are raised with great parents right now are going to just clean the competition. Clean, you know, just they're gonna, it's just going to be lights out. I mean, kids are – I'm just watching, like, what's happening the past 16 months, even with the COVID stuff, just, you know, how fearful parents are making their kids for something that is a mild virus with yes. a 99.98 percent symptom rate yes. or uh, survival rate, 99.96 percent mild symptom rate. Like I'm watching, like kids tell other friends that I can't go to the park because uh, I might get sick. 
like I'm just you know kids judging already other kids for you know silly things for not wearing a diaper on their face like it's uh, I'm I'm really not so much worried about maybe my kids but having really good discretion around who I allow my kids to hang out with and I know not all parents have the same beliefs and I have some friends who are very good friends like guys that I respect you know colleagues of mine but they don't have the same beliefs and aren't making the same decisions to keep their family first and I know that will trickle down to the type of decisions and influences they have on their kids and I need to think it's my job to number one. People say, Vince, that's very judgmental. You're, 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 you're 1000 percent correct as judgmental because it's my number one job to protect my kids. So the least of my concerns is coming across as judgmental. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and um, my brother, you know right there, I, I, I tell you what, if I can fist bump you across the, across the phone here, I will give you a big fist bump because that is, that's so important. I saw a female pastor. She goes, it wasn't enough for my kids to just hang around with other kids who were saved. I wanted to know what they were doing, what they were actively doing, because there was, there was a lot of kids who were saved or, or who believed that weren't leading great lifestyles. And, and she was bold. And I'm, I'm the same with my way. Our pastor said, look, he goes, I have five kids. And he said, people say, can your kids spend the night? And I said, nope. And they're like, why? You know, we're not. He goes, I don't know you. And, and we've had to tell people. Now, We've had to tell people, I say, look, my kids aren't spending the night over anybody's house, okay? Now, if you say you don't want your kids spending the night over my house, I won't get offended. Like, that's your decision, and I would yeah. probably applaud you, you know? The fact of the matter is yeah. I wish we didn't live in, in the type of world where we have to. And then you go back to the freedom thing. My daughter was walking into yeah. um, Costco with her grandfather. This was this was probably three or four months ago, so there was still a mask kind of thing going on. And this was here in Tampa. And Angelique and I went off to record the podcast. <laughs> so this is funny, Vince. We come home, and my dad's upset. And he goes, we were walking to Costco, and the guy said, well, where's the mask? And he went to go hand Ella one, and Ella said, nope, I'm not wearing one. And she just walked away and walked back towards the car. And I'm like, Dad, first things first. I go, I know you're upset because you couldn't go into the store, but you ought to thank me for raising that girl with a spine. You ought to thank me for raising that girl with a grit and a toughness because I'm damn proud of her for saying that and refusing to do that. So I, I know mm -hmm. some people listening to this, they might, you know, this has become a touchy subject, but I love what you said, Vince. You're like, hey, this is my number one job. And look, I don't need any approval rating for it. I don't need anybody else telling me how good I'm doing. I'm raising these children. It's my responsibility. Yeah. So amen to you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it does sound simple, but it's the same. It's not when it's in action. Like, you know, I, you know, one of my friends, uh, you know, he's going through a, a messy separation, divorce and all that. And, you know, we grew up with them and uh, our kids are friends with their kids and, you know, when we're around them, you know, I know, you know, the root issue of uh, say the, the separation is from like, just lack of presence. And now you're watching the kids like throwing temper tantrums and being disrespectful around us. I'm like, this is the, this is the product of all these decisions. Like, so now, now I have to decide, do I want my daughter, you know, how much influence do I want this? Although this is a friend of mine. Yeah. This is a friend of mine that I want to maintain my friendship with for a long time to come. 
Yet now I have to start making decisions based on on the influence his daughter is not having on my daughter. Okay. I'm like, am I? Wow, this is this is this isn't going to be easy. So I, I think, you know, being there's a great book by Meg Meeker. Um, what was the, what the heck is it called? Is her most oh hero? That's it. And one of the things she talks about in her book, which was really spoke to me, was uh, courageous parenting. Yes. And these are opportunities and times where you have to have courage and, you know, courage to say things that might rock the boat or be uncomfortable for your relationship status with people that you actually want to maintain a relationship with. Yet now all of a sudden there's consequences to you not being courageous and to you being afraid to say something or do something and just say, nah, it's not a big deal which is how most people live their life, apathetic yep. and tolerating. And then next thing you know, the kids suffer. So I think what I'm hoping is that I just have wisdom to be, you know, discerning amongst, you know, you know, people that, you know, expo- the amount of exposure people have to, you know, other kids. And yeah. That all starts with the parents choosing their friends wisely. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You so know what? I had a pretty good upbringing. Yeah, go ahead. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Our uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll said, he said, if you love somebody, you're willing to have conflict with them so you can have an understanding or or, or connection. And, and and it's a tough thing. And, and sometimes I always loved him because he spoke to the congregation of men, and he said, some of you men are acting like boys and you need to grow up. Or he said, you know, we need stronger men in our, in our communities, in our families. And Think about that. We need to be able to have conflict with people if we love them to get to an understanding or a connection. So whether it's what scares me is like what you're saying in our schools. So you do all this work. You pour into your children. You teach them right. You get them up for Sunday. They go to church. And then all of a sudden someone who didn't or it's a public school is teaching them something that you wouldn't approve of. And that's why we have to be so careful. Because it's not, yeah. people say, well, you raise your kids how you want to. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But if I'm raising my kids here and then your daughter's a terrible influence, you know, like then mm-hmm. then I have to step in and say yeah. they can no longer have this type of relationship. And sometimes it's hard because the kid yeah. doesn't understand that. The, the child doesn't yeah. say, why can't yeah. I play with them? Because you're like, well, this is really above your, your head right now, but I'm trying to do this in your best interest. And sometimes then you don't want, yeah. there's always the threat of, well, what if my child rebels later on? If you're overprotective and then you get this child that, you know, says I'm going to rebel and do everything that I couldn't do. That's another scary part. So I, I said in a speech recently that I'm raising my daughters a little bit differently than I'd like to. I'm raising them a little tougher than I'd like to. I would like to like we had growing up, Vince, I would like to keep them a little bit more sheltered and to the right age when they can learn about these things in a proper manner. But unfortunately, the way society and our school system and our government and our even our televisions are bringing this stuff into our home, we're being forced to have conversations with these poor kids and, and forcing them really to grow up. It's not fair. Yeah. Give, them, give them their childhood yeah, back. Let them keep their innocence for as long as they can. My wife was reading something that they implemented this sexual education in this public school system up in D.C., and she's reading it to me, uh-huh. and I literally had to tell her, stop reading it. It's offending me. Yeah. And, and, and I yeah. get, I get yeah. as, a, as a dad, I, I get a righteous anger, and I always try and tell myself, you know, like, we have, what would Jesus do? He would, 
You know, Pete told Peter, put away your sword. And as a dad, you want to take out your sword, your metaf- your your metaphorical sword. You want to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to protect these kids. But I think what we're doing yeah. in what you said is, look, we got to do our best, mothers and fathers, to talk to them, to shelter them where they need sheltering, to protect them where they need protecting. And if it's a little bit error on the side of being a little bit overprotective without being a helicopter parent, per se, as they joke around— I'm all I'm all mm-hmm. on board with you, brother. I, I'm willing to yeah, I think, rub people the wrong way, even if they're my close friends or even if they're my family members, so I can make sure that my girls are are in the right spot. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's a dad's job to protect, provide, and to love. Amen. And um, I, there was a great little story our um, pastor shared on Father's Day, and the son was asking the father. Daddy, are you my dad or my friend? And the father replied, I'm going to be your dad now so I can be your friend later on. That's good. That's good. I thought that was, that really spoke to me because, you know, in the in early stages, sometimes you want the approval of your kids. Sure. You want them to like you. You want, uh, you know, everything to go smoothly. But, you know, being a great father requires you to, protect, provide, and love. And, and love defined as tough love as well, which is to take away things that are not good for them and to minimize exposure to things. And yeah, we pulled our kids from Catholic school because of the sex curriculum they got. Yeah. I'm like, why in the world would you be teaching my kid this? Yes. Like if, if, if there was a stranger at the park, let's just say, let's, let's flip the scenario. The kids are no longer in the classroom learning this. If your kids were in a park and some random person came up to them and started to teach them the same stuff that they're teaching in the classroom, you would you would find that person either knock them out or you would bring them to the the police to get them arrested. You're right. Or you would literally say, "Hey, this person needs to be arrested for speaking to my kid about these things." Yet this is what's happening in the school system, and parents don't know how to react because it's happening within the realms of education. Exactly. I, I feel and, like if, there, if there's the one the, meme that, that describes it most, it's it's Will Ferrell in, in Zoolander where he's like, am I taking crazy pills? But we, we keep asking that. And here's the thing, Vince, I think it's, I think it's what we're seeing now is the, it's, it's the, it's the strongest voices that are speaking up, but it's not necessarily the masses. I think the masses are feeling like you and I, and I think it's that, the 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 voices of discontent that are are talking the loudest right now, unfortunately, are getting the most airtime. Where you're setting a yeah, fantastic yeah. example right here on our show right now. If you are listening to this and you're a parent, look, here's a guy who is loving his family, and I understand. Angelique comes from a, a family where her parents were divorced, so we have two different perspectives. We're not trying to knock people that are in tr- trouble or getting divorced. We know things happen, okay? This is not a knock on you. What this is is saying that we, as men, and I'll include the women too, as a generation, we have an opportunity and an obligation right now, like Vince says, to do a better job. And and just by saying it, Vince, just by saying it right now and it landing on the ears of other men out there, that's sometimes all it takes is for a, a strong, powerful man like you who is convicted 
to sit up and say, look, say what you want. Point fingers at me. Judge me. Do whatever you want. But when when the day is over, you know what's the most important thing? This woman and these children. And and that's what I'll hang my hat on. So I, I applaud you for for your just your passion about yeah. it. I think we, we feel the same and way. And I think you know, you know, just you know, just to kinda um you know, I know we're getting close to wrapping up here. The um thing I was just thinking about there was um you might have to just vote with your feet. And that's what we had to do because you know, something I heard, I don't remember who said this, if it was uh, somebody famous or some stoic or someone, but uh, something to the effect of don't don't enter a war that you can't win. And, you know, I see a lot of people complaining, and I think, you know, there's definitely people who may be called to speak out and, you know, fun all this. But, you know, at the end of the day, and I'm not saying there's not value in that, and if there's not people that should, you know, that, that might be their mission to do, but you know, I just realized, like, me to go up against the school system, me to go up against the government, me to go up against, you know, the, the public health system to share my views on all these things going on in the world, likely not going to win that war. Yeah. <laughs> I might win a battle here, too, but, you know, but what war can I win? The war I can win is making a decision and taking action based on my ability to move which is ultimate freedom, your ability to move. Yeah. So, you know, for us, we left the country for three months just to escape the craziness going on in Canada. We pulled our kids out of school and we have enrolled them into a Christian classical school, which is outstanding. The kids are like day and night difference in education, coming home, memorizing Bible verses, singing full-blown songs. And I'm like, oh my goodness, my kids are showing me up. I need to step up. If there this is go. the pace that they're learning, oh my goodness, what kind of questions are they going to be asking me next week, next year? I'm like, this is out. So I, so at the end of the day, parents, you know, everybody listening has to just take responsibility and ownership of their, of their lives, their families, and their kids' lives. And yeah, that might not be convenient. You know, we're now looking at relocating to Tennessee, although we would love to, we want to, you know, most people say, oh, I can't do that. We've had to get extremely resourceful. We've had to get, you know, all the process to get an E2 visa. And that's taking time. And, you know, a lot of extra inconvenience. Yeah, you know what? Raising kids is inconvenient, right? You know, giving your kids a better future is inconvenient. But guess what? That's what you signed up for, right? You know, life is no longer about you and your ambitions and your hopes and your dreams and crushing it. And I think that's, what happens, like, when you, if you want to be, if you, not to say you can't do those things and you have to sacrifice all your dreams and hopes, but if you, if you want to raise a great family, yes, you can't have it all. You know, this world preaches you can have it all, maybe in stages and over a long period of time, but you have to figure out what's most important to you and what you're going to prioritize, right? You want a big business, you want to be super healthy, you want to have all this stuff, like, you have to realize what is important right now. What season am I in right now? Right. My business might have to coast for a couple months. We're making great, great, great progress. If I kept the pedal to the metal, we'd be able to hit some really awesome milestones, but at what expense now I'm not going to be able to support my wife in the process of getting this visa in the process of finding a new home in the process of transitioning out of the country. So, you know, I think that's, 
the big message I try and tell people to run their race yes. and to figure out what's most important and don't sacrifice at a long pace. Sure, you make more money, maybe you get the best body of your dreams, but did, did you sacrifice something that is now unrecoverable or something that, you know, you broke or created damage in along the way. And now you're like, now you got another mess to, to clean up. And I always challenge people to redefine their definition of progress. Because I see a lot of people prog- progress in one area of their life, but they're regressing in other areas. And that's called the paradox of progress. Did you really progress if your business grew but you lost your soul, you lost your family, your kids yes. are getting neglected. Did you really progress? Yes. That's and I think that's that's what I'm all about, trying to figure out, not to say I have that figured out whatsoever, but like that is like at the forefront of how do I continue to grow in these areas and how do I do it in seasons and how do I balance all these crucial balls that I want to juggle but I can't afford to drop any of them because they're, they'll shatter if I do. So I think that's uh, something we're all struggling with and what we're talking about here. So, yeah, I mean, well, well said, uh, you know, possible. that's it's why possible, yeah. but it's, it's a lot of work. That That's why we call these hallways, because when Angelique and I were discussing our brand, we said, you know, when you're flipping a switch, when you go through a hallway, it's not like you go into a room and just flip it on. A hallway is a, is a process, is a journey and things are going to change. The hallway of your marriage looks a lot different now than it did 10 years ago. The hallway of my body looks a lot different now, and I'm flipping different switches in my body than I was flipping when I was 20, right? Uh, the, the hallway of your business is a long hallway, and you're going to be flipping different switches to get different lights on as you go deeper into it. And so I love what you're saying. I love how we're wrapping this up. And I'm going to say this, Vince Del Monte, you are a good man, and you are an example that I hope the the men and women out there listen to this message, share this message. We need more people like you. And the reason why I wanted you on this show is because I watched you traveling. I, I heard that post where, where you said that sometimes you, you can't win a war and you just have to go. And I was like, mm, that spoke to me. We are in a war now for the hearts and minds of an entire generation more importantly, for the hearts and minds of, of a generation that has lost sight of what it means to be a disciple of God and, and to really know that that is the guiding light in the world. Because, let's face it, we are on a path right now that some of us have stumbled, and that is why the book gives you the instructions. Because those who stumble should find their way, and there's always a light that's waiting for you. So whether it's your business, whether it's your family and your marriage and your children, whether it's your body, and certainly with your faith, my friends, take the road less traveled like Vince did. Put it upon yourself to say, hey, I'm either going to make this or break this, but you know what? I'm going to do it the way that I know how. And so, Vince, where can they find you? Where, where can so if someone wants to be coached by you, because I'm guessing there's a lot of people right now going, this is my kind of coach. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Best way to get a hold of me is Instagram. At Vince Del Monte. They'll see my blue verified account. If they don't live on Instagram like I do, they can use Facebook as well. My uh, personal profile is a great way to uh, connect with me. Personal profile. Vince Del Monte, they can send a friend request or just send me a message. We check the uh, 
message requests so we won't miss anything. And uh, those are the two places I'm very active, my Facebook and my Instagram account. All right, my friends, that's Vince, V-I-N-C-E, Del Monte, D-E-L-M-O-N-T-E, the Fitness Biz Results Coach, but not only a Fitness Biz Results Coach, but a wonderful husband, a wonderful father, and Vince, one of one of my favorite interviews ever. I just I just love what you stand for, and I pray for uh, prosperity, and I pray for protection, and I pray for perseverance for you and your family. So I just want to thank you. For the listeners, this has been the Turned On Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.